Alright. Yeah, I'm ready for whatever. The songs is Daredevil related. Oh, wait, let me get my little Daredevil action figure off the shelf. <laughs> oh my god. City needs to die before it can be reborn. Sometimes it requires force. It's impossible to avoid for what I'm trying to do. I've hurt people. And I'm going to hurt more. I'm gonna make you pay for what you've done. I respect your conviction. The lone man thinks he can make a difference. Do you believe in the devil, Father? I believe he walks among us. It's Thursday, April 16th, and this is the Daredevil special. We decided to dust off the thought bubble very quickly out of, <laughs> out of hiatus <laughs> to talk about Netflix's, uh, Marvel and Netflix's collaboration on Daredevil. I've had a couple people ask me if we are going to be talking about everything on this podcast. I think it's safe to say yes. So if you haven't made it all the way through 13 episodes, um, you know, we're going to talk about the whole thing. The thing is a whole. We're also we're not going to be back next week, despite promises we're going to make again. We're really not going to be back next week. So if you want to save this until after you've watched all of Daredevil, take your time. We'll be here. Exactly. Yeah. So so you know, press pause. Just pick this up when you're done, and and we'll be back around May first. I think is when we'll be back. Yeah, we're not doing that Batman Superman trailer. I'm not oh. driving to IMAX. No. no. But this, uh, isn't, sure we- this isn't a time for me to talk about my DC bias or annoyance or Michelle McLaren or Patty Jenkins or any of that. We are here to talk about Matt Murdock and Hell's Kitchen. Um, I was very surprised by how much I liked it. I knew that I would like it. I just didn't know that I would love it. I didn't know that I would conclude that it's the best comic book TV series we've ever had, which I think mm. it is. Um, Dave, what were your overall, over, overall thoughts before we get to listener questions? In terms of current comic book television that we have, I still think this is a little below the flash, just in terms of like the flash pays off on so much of what I want to see from that property and Daredevil told its own story really well. But if I was really honest about what I wanted to see from Daredevil, the suit would have been better and it would have come in sooner. Um, and maybe it would have had one more, like, slightly more out there character, um, and not necessarily uh, just focused on, like, The Hand and uh, Wilson Fisk in terms of our specific comic reference people. But, uh, overall, I really enjoyed it. I think, like, four episodes in, I took a break to get some food and was, like, thinking about why I was enjoying it despite myself. And I realized that I think it was after like episode two, I was like, Oh, this is sort of like going to be a series. that's like focused on combat. And then by episode four, I'm like, and it's really dark. So it's like, it's a more traditional riff on film noir than we're used to seeing. And I think sometimes when that, uh, style gets, uh, 
posted on the Daredevil or pasted on the Daredevil characters, some of them become a little bit more grating than they need to be, or the dialogue becomes a little bit more obvious because like the flavor of this particular corner of the Marvel universe uh, is both throwback and modern at the same time. So I really, I really enjoyed it. I like the idea of it making it a fisticuffs and uh, noir riff. Uh, series. I think that was a very smart way to take on Daredevil uh, on a budget and then shoot around New York. So what I was thinking about while we were watching it was something that you've been saying in general about the MCU, which is about how they sort of prepare us for weirdness. So like we start with Tony Stark in his, you know, mech suit basically, uh, or, you know, his Iron Man suit. And then we eventually we'll end up with Inhumans. We can't start with Inhumans because it's too weird. You can't start with Groot. It's too weird. You have to start with a Tony Stark. So, you know, my thought then watching the show is, okay, they've started us as Daredevil. They don't put on the costume until the final episode. So he's like, you know, Dread Pirate Robert saying around Hell's Kitchen for 13 episodes um, or 12. Um, and you keep the, you know, heightened powers thing a little bit under wraps. And you keep it so very grounded. And so then when we get to people like Luke Cage or, I'm, you know, like that it's just going to get more and more weird and comic booky, uh, in a good way. But, but hook us first with the most sort of grounded and realistic version possible. Does that make sense to you? Yes. Well, I mean, and also we've consistently talked about Marvel doesn't do secret identities and now they just, they just did. Yeah. So um, it's a lot That's of firsts, and true. like Daredevil's a very slow build, and but I think it's a slow build for the Netflix universe. I would expect that you know, uh, uh, aka Jessica Jones, going to be able to pick up uh, much faster in this world and sort of play around in it, and we won't have to you know deal with the, I don't know. We will be able to have things like Purple Man maybe having powers more like he does in the comic books and not necessarily have to have him be a gangster maybe right. because we took 13 episodes steeping us in this very real character study between these two people. And I want to talk about that. I, I something that you said in the context of one listener question we got. So, so John wrote in and, and he did not really like daredevil. And he says, I've only watched the first several episodes, but I'm underwhelmed by daredevil. Pointlessly violent with a cipher for a leading character, the show is defined mostly by its villain. And I get the feeling that that may be the only thing that sets it apart from season one of Arrow. Um, you know, and then he, he asked some other questions. But, but this idea of the villain of, of Wilson Fisk, which a lot of people have talked about in their conversation about Daredevil, about how the different approach to the villain is what sets Daredevil apart from so many other properties and I want us to talk a little bit about how this is an origin story, not just for Daredevil, but also for Kingpin. Because, yeah, he starts out as this big, bald, like, bad guy, but he's this bad guy in the shadows. He doesn't, you know, decapitate someone until whatever, episode four, I think. And and we see his beginnings. We get the flashback to his childhood. We... Um, which ends up being like one of the highlights of the series is yeah. when Kingpin's motivations are revealed, which is also the first episode that Stephen Tonight writes, and he writes it solo. And I wonder if that's like, you know, Drew Goddard wrote the first two episodes, and we know he was developing it before he left to do Sinister Six, which eventually became Spider-Man, which he's going to do. Right. So I wonder if like Drew Goddard came up with this idea 
and like sort of like the slightly more annoying Foggy and the slightly more like yeah. damselly Karen yeah. and set it up. And then Stephen tonight came in and was like, well, this is also Fisk and like we're going to give Fisk the romance and we're going to let Karen be you know, uh, a reporter and, uh, you know, we're going to do all this. So it's that episode is really interesting in terms of the names that are on it and how pivotal it is the entire series. That's such an interesting distinction to me. Um, because yeah, when I did start watching and I was like, foggy can like drive off a cliff and die and I wouldn't mind. Uh, and then he grew on me and, and yeah, exactly. Karen is, is much, much more interesting character later on. But for me, it's D'Onofrio who I've, always just loved like the vulnerability that he brings to Fisk. The idea that we meet Fisk because he's like trying to go on a date is the best way to be introduced to a supervillain I can possibly think of. And so that later in the series when he's like using both fists to sort of like King Kong or, or no Donkey Kong like pound Daredevil's face, you're still kind of with Fisk in a weird way. And, and that's an amazing accomplishment of this series. And I don't think it should be written off. I, I just think that that whole idea and the fact that he like loses the Wesley character and this is also part of informs who he is and he loses his like, you know, rogues gallery of other gangsters and, and eventually emerges as this solitary, scary figure, you know. Yeah, and I mean, it was, uh, we talked about this a little bit on Fighting in the War Room, but the Kingpin's the first Marvel villain that, like, is actually worthy of going up against a Marvel hero at this point. Uh, just uh, the other ones have been there for plot purposes, and right. some of them have been great. But, like, oh, Loki came back for a second one because, like, the fans were like, hey, sweet. And Joss Whedon was like, I could use Loki. That gives me interesting things to work with and a villain everybody already knows. So I don't have to spend time giving him crazy motivations. I just have to have him, you know, sort of look at Thor. He wants to take over the world. It's great. Um, but now Kingpin is, we're as much on his side as we are on Daredevil's potentially not quite like we, as much but like we, we know he has to lose yeah but we don't want him to die you or know even like, if we want him to die we'll feel really bad about it and we'll feel like it's very tragic and like it could have gone otherwise for him i mean he did decapitate a guy's head with a car door like I'm, I'm not sure that we can like be completely on board with him but i don't think of him as a monster i think of him as like a tragedy and I've talked about before on this podcast and elsewhere how much it bothers me when MCU villains are so non-humanoid, when they're so CGI'd or, or masked out of any recognition. and Or Loki, just Lee Paced. Uh, well, yeah, he was like, he had that rubber cowl just like completely <laughs> limited his, his movement. But um, Loki and, you know, Kingpin, it's no mistake, there there are, are more humanoid villains. I mean, I guess... Robert Redford, but like they also have these very human motivations with Loki. It's this, you know, jealous sibling thing that is so key for him, you know, and, and, and with Kingpin, it's also rooted in very human and relatable emotions that he thinks he is a hero and, and that's the tragedy. It's really interesting. Yeah. They're the only relatable ones that we could find as an audience the rest are just sort of obstacles that have to be there for the movie exactly like someone that someone needs to be mickey rourke and have a bone (laughs) to pick but i mean even like even jeff bridges or robert redford like those characters 
because it's like power, megalomaniacal power. And that's not something a viewer can really tap into as a relatable emotion or a relatable motivation, right? Right. And they kind of ruin those characters, too, because those characters have, like, rich, you know, backstories. Well, I mean, Obadiah Stane has a rich backstory. Uh, the Robert Redford character, they're going to build one for him through some flashbacks, right. uh, but his key's going to be more of an Easter egg than he is going to be a fully fleshed out thing. And now it's nice because like the Kingpin and Ur Loki can show up in lesser properties if they want, and I'll be like on their side. I still think that I really want Spider Man in this version of the Marvel Universe more than I want him in the Civil War version of the Marvel Universe. But I agree, he would be great in this. Oh, man, there's some good Ultimate Spider-Man Kingpin comics where he basically uh, films the Kingpin, like, squishing somebody's head like a grape uh-huh. and, like, sort of blackmails him with it. And uh-huh. the Kingpin tries to weasel out of it. And, like, it's just so... It's also Brian Michael Bendis, which is the reason I bring it up, is that Bendis, both in his Daredevil run and his Ultimate Spider-Man run, knew his, knew his way around the kingpin. Nice. Um, I did want to talk a little bit, um, sort of in a sideways way, about Vanessa, who I think is important to this whole um, kingpin development. But, you know, when I, when I was praising her on, on Twitter, I think yesterday, someone came at me with, like, a slight undercut, which is like, yeah, I like her, but let's get inside her head next season. And so, like, do we think Vanessa is just a device, more of a plot device than a fleshed-out character? And in general, what do we think of the women in this season? Um, Adam Borden, who does our our lovely graphic design, wrote in and he asked, um, do you think Rosario Dawson's Claire Temple, former girlfriend of Luke Cage in the comics, will be combined with comics Linda Carter and effectively become the night nurse for the Marvel um, MCU? And And so the question is, you know, Rosario Dawson, who who disappears for like you know she's only in I think five or six episodes in this in this uh, season, mm-hmm. is she gonna gonna become what we kind of hope Felicity or is or the Coulson like pop up in the various series and and serve this function, and is that a a good enough function? I think they did a good job of making her not just the person who patches up daredevil but but to turn her into a kind of a believable character as well and ditto as you said karen was moved out of the damsel role into a much more active role later in the season so like what do you how do you think this uh, this show treats its female characters um see the problem is that uh, like i said it's a noir riff so it's going to feel like it's talking down to them, but it's not. It's like the hallmarks of what it is. And luckily you have Rosario Dawson to bring Claire through on that and, you know, to bring the the, the weight to the monologues about what it all means and whatnot and not make it about the fact that they want to kiss each other until it actually has to be about that. And Charlie Cox does a really good job playing off of her. Karen Page doesn't really have... Um, that sort of range or they didn't give her the specific scenes to uh i don't really or i just watched too much true blood so I i've seen her do too much stuff <laughs> well i was gonna say i think deborah ann wall is good but like never you know knocked my socks off on true blood so right. i thought she was better in this but i still think she is not as talented an actress as rosario dawson or i forget the name of the woman who played vanessa she's an israeli 
actress. Right. She's very good. So. But like the, the history of the sort of noir detective story tradition is like men come back from World War Two and their women are all or World War One, one of the world wars and all their women have, uh, you know, sort of got on without them and become stronger. So you have like this femme fatale, right. just someone who could kill you and could do everything on her own. But you also want her to be weak and you want to hold her and you want her to be the object of your desire. So it has to be both. It's also how high heels became a thing because they used to be just sort of like pornographic and used for stills. But then like so many people would just like use them as these images when they went off to war, they came back and they expected people to be able to walk in them. And that's like sort of the birth of the high heel in the popular fashion. That's so interesting. So it's like, it's a weird time for men dealing with women trying to solve murders. And so I can but understand I say, why it's a little problematic. I have to say that for all it, it leans into the noir sort of type, if if it wanted a femme fatale, we would have had Electra, not a passing reference to Electra, we would have had the Electra character who is much more of that. And from my understanding of the Daredevil comics, which is, you know, slight, but but it exists. Um, that's Matt Murdock's type is sort of this femme fatale type. And, and he always gets in trouble with his female interests. And I wouldn't call any of those three women femme fatales. Like, um, Vanessa maybe comes closest, but she's not, she's not a femme fatale. So, well, I'm not talking about like the actual deadliness, but like the, the, the steel resolve when it comes down to it, you don't want them to cower like the other women in your story who are victims. They're gonna they're gonna come through it and they're gonna face it. They might not get completely through it because they're lady folk, but every once in a while they're Rosario Dawson and they tell you where that nerve behind the eyeball is. So, you know, it, it kinda pays off. That's so cool. I want the Rosario Dawson show. I want her to have a spin-off. Well, I mean, to answer the question, <laughs> yeah. I think yes, it's I think we're gonna get more of her in AKA Jessica Jones for sure. I'm not sure if she's gonna continue on and be just night nurse for all of them. That'd be cool if she was like the Colson of the series, but it's also possible they're gonna do it like you know pool balls so like uh rosario rosario dawson goes from daredevil into aka jessica jones jessica jones has luke cage that it passes off to luke cage that has iron fist that passes off into iron fist so she just might be the inciting incident because i think uh i read an interview somewhere that uh, uh kristen ritter was cast like as they were shooting the last episode so even if they wanted to have jessica jones in this that it would have been impossible just schedule wise so i think instead of having one unifying character it's going to be easier for them to just pass on down the line what do you think was up with rosario dawson's schedule in this i mean it's fine that she's not in every episode that's absolutely fine but then you have episodes where you know foggy's like oh you just missed your nurse friend she was just here you know so it feels like rosario is contracted for like six episodes or or you know very finite amount yeah it's that's very possible and then like all these series are spread out over such a long period of time if she signed a contract to be in multiple ones i'm sure there's very specific rules as to how many rosario dawson days you get but that also being said it could just be because there wasn't enough time like it this tells it tells the story very slowly so you could follow it but it is a very winding story of trying to like remake a neighborhood of hell's kitchen so maybe it just didn't have time to, you know, do all the googly eyes. So, uh, <laughs> so 
speaking of, of sort of scheduling, we had a couple people ask this and I'll just conflate the question, which is, you know, what's the scheduling on the Defender series? Do we think the, the success of Daredevil will speed up that? Will they want to produce more of these, et cetera, et cetera, faster? Um, the, the newest information I have is from three months ago, which is that, um, they've said that, I think it was a Netflix president who said, you know, we don't have a schedule locked in place yet. It might be every eight months. It might be every 15 months. We want to give the series space to the individual series to space to build an audience. Um, and so the plan is, you know, every eight month or every 15 months, we'll get another installment culminating in the, in the mini series team up between the four, uh, main superheroes. But, uh, it does seem a very long time to wait for Charlie Cox to come back again, like four years from now, basically. So what, what do you, what, if you, do you have any thoughts on that on scheduling? Uh, I, I do think that, um, I think it is unlikely that there is something that we call daredevil season two. Um, maybe ever. Like, uh, I think it's, I suspect it's going to be this fall we'll get, a.k.a. Jessica Jones. I think it has just much to do with uh, whenever Netflix has a gap in its very aggressive release (laughs) schedule. Yeah. Uh, as much as it has to do with when they actually get done filming it. So, AKA Jessica Jones is wrapping up filming. As soon as Netflix has their hands on it, they're going to want to drop it around the same time as TV's dropping things that aren't Netflix. So I would look for AKA Jessica Jones in the fall uh, to be semi-competitive there. They don't, they're they going to want it out of the way of what? Orange is the New Black is also this fall? Or is that this, that this summer? No, that's summer. That's soon. Summer. Okay, yeah. good. So yeah, yeah I, nothing I, in the fall. Well, Marco Polo season two, maybe. Um, I wonder, actually, that makes me think if Daredevil was released consciously to coincide with Game of Thrones... And if they'll then release AK Jessica Jones consciously to coincide with something in the fall that's on television, you know, Walking Dead I think, or something. I think that, um, like everything, it, Game of, Daredevil releasing so close to Game of Thrones, I feel was part of like some sort of pissing contest over HBO now. Um, way back when, mm. when they decided this deal was going to happen. Because they knew when Game of Thrones was coming, right. because they were trying to organize a way for everybody to see Game of Thrones. And uh, that might have involved this huge business deal. And I think that Netflix might have thumbed, thumbed their nose a little bit. And I was like, we'll just put Daredevil this right here. <laughs> and everybody's going to have access to Daredevil for seven ninety nine, regardless of the cable provider. So there... And then, you know, HBO had to scramble a little bit. In my mind, I like I like companies doing that to each other. Yeah. But yeah, I don't think it was a mistake at all. And right. that and there's just like there's other television uh that was like in break um for some I don't know, some sort of reason to line up with sweeps based on the number of episodes. So yeah, it was a good time for Netflix to get in there after everybody had sort of wound down House of Cards. Oh, House of Cards was like to, uh, you know, like Kimmy Schmidt and Bloodline since House of Cards before Daredevil. Netflix is killing me. Anyway, um, I have yet oh, wait, to find There was a question. Oh, yeah, sorry. Every eight months, I think, is, uh, I think Luke Cage is going to be spring next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would make a lot of sense. Um, something similar to what they're doing now with Avengers, I think they could do with Captain America, Winter Soldier, uh, Civil War. 
and also sort of tie those two things together. Um, and then, because you got to think that, like, if it's a big enough world Marvel Universe conflict that they're rounding up everybody with superhero powers, that these people would have something to say about it. Um, so it might be better to just get out before that and then have an eight-month gap where you don't reference it, in which case I would have Iron Fist in the fall. And then Defenders, uh, I would put... Uh, in between Avengers Infinity War Part 1 and 2, like yeah. I said, but production may not fit for that, in which case it would become, it would come before Infinity War Part 1. Um, and then I would look for the Netflix heroes to join the MCU in Infinity War Part 2. I'm going to stick by that. No one's ever said anything to make me believe that's not happening. I like that idea. But yeah, and it doesn't mean that we have to wait you know, however many years to see Charlie Cox again, because as you said, with, I mean, with the pool ball sort of scenario, you know, Charlie Cox could come zooming in to Luke Cage at any given time. You know, like, I don't know what the contracts are and how much we'll see the characters bleed together before we see them all come together in Defenders. I think it, it would be smart to keep those other characters fresh in our mind, right? Yeah, but you also don't want it to be imposing. You don't want AKA no. Jessica Jones to be Daredevil season two. No, not imposing, just connected. Yeah. You know, which I and connected in a more substantial way than Daredevil's connected to the MCU because I like how little Daredevil's connected to the MCU. You know, they talk about the Battle of New York, they reference it a couple times, they make cute little references to, you know, like Iron Man's suit and the wings on Captain America's helmet and stuff like that. Like they make those references. We understand it's the same universe, but they don't do the Gotham bullshit where they lean really heavily on it. You know, they just let it be and let Daredevil be its own thing. So, um, but I'd like to see a little more interconnectivity between the four Defenders series. So, we'll Oh, see. well, I mean, the eggs are here already. So we have the hand and they have the black sun, which is a child's to be continued with stick and probably Daredevil in the future Netflix series. I thought that kid, uh, I thought they, Killed that kid. They did not kill that kid? They did, but he's not the only one. Oh, uh, okay. We don't know what a black son is or what he does or what, okay. what's been going on. But then the hand is also tied to Electra, which they planted. So just the whole idea of like mystical ninjas is also really close to some Iron Fist stuff we're going to need later on if we're going to understand his crazy superpower of being cool. able to punch really hard. Cool, cool. So that stuff's down there. Uh, Jessica Jones and uh, Luke Cage... They're kind of dating uh, Claire's character in the comics used to date Luke Cage. And some people have theorized that the apartment that she's holding for a friend, she's actually holding for Kristen Ritter, who is sort of uh, giving up being a superhero and is about to become a detective, uh, which will happen at the beginning of her series. So that, so, cat, that cat belongs to Jessica Jones is what you're saying. That's possible. Mm. Uh, or that would be a cool way to connect it or yeah. just to have these all, all these people involved. And then you could have Rosario Dawson introduce Luke Cage, who she used to date, to Kristen Ritter, who is her friend. And then this character is now, you know, like your, your Coulson, for lack of a better term. So I think, like, all the pieces are there. Um, it's really when the show has to start narrowing down to be becoming about just the Kingpin versus Daredevil. If you look at all the stuff they sort of leave hanging, like what's Karen Page's past? 
those are holes for the Netflix series to pop up because, like I said, I don't think there's going to be a Daredevil season two. All these things have to be answered, and I really don't want to believe that they just got sloppy. Yeah, no, I don't think they did. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, this question comes from Thomas from Australia, and he says, Daredevil on Netflix has been my first encounter with a character. And while I've watched the whole season, I really loved it. Oh, 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 I want to say this before I lose it. It just flitted in and out of my mind. So we talked about Purple Man, right? Yeah. And how he sort of, like, uses his mind to control Jessica Jones in, like, vaguely sexual ways. So what if uh, Karen Page's past is she has a little bit of adult film uh, ugliness in her past. What if that now becomes Purple Man? What so if the Red Wall is in the Purple Man flashback? Um, and that's the mystery of, of her origins, of the things well, that she's hiding. She, yeah, she has like some sort of mysterious past that she's a little bit ashamed of. And we right. know Purple Man basically does that to women he finds attractive. Interesting. This is going to be some interesting territory for for Netflix to try to explore in a way yeah, that well, I is mean, <laughs> like great and empowering and not like awful and terrible, yeah, or, or awful and terrible, and at the end of the day, empowering and interesting. So, episode two, Cutman has that great fight scene at the end, but the entire episode is sort of like a taco around the fact that they're selling children for sex, but not this kid. This kid was just taken for daredevil. It's okay. If we, you know, deal with sex trafficking with this kid, because this kid was only taken to lure daredevil in. He is not a sex traffic kid. Heaven forbid. We actually have child sex trafficking on daredevil. It was interesting. Okay, so this question comes from Thomas from Australia, and he says, Daredevil on Netflix has been my very first encounter with the character, and while I've watched the whole season and really loved it, I'm slightly disappointed that the character is not very blind. I'd be interested to know if it's the same in the comics, but with the whole world on fire stuff and his ability to sense even where inanimate objects are in the environment, what's the point of him being blind? I guess I was hoping to see more struggle and flailing arms from Daredevil himself, or at least a scene with loud music or strong smells as his kryptonite, but I guess that's for season two, uh, which, you know... Uh, Dave has already put a bullet in your hopes for season two, but um, I love this idea of strong smells as his kryptonite. That's hilarious. There is one, I mean, for the most part, I buy, you know, the whole Daryl Devil concept. I actually really like the scene where he's walking with his cane and then he turns a corner in an alley and just drops a cane and, like, scales the building in two seconds. And I think that was the part where he then, like, runs across the roof, like, flipping and diving. Yeah. And it's great. But um, there was one scene where... Karen's phone was on the ground and he knew exactly where the phone was, you know, and it's sort of like micro changes in the wind, the way the wind, you know, like there are a million reasons why he could know where her phone was on the ground near him, but it's still, yeah, it is true. You're sort of like, is he blind though? So uh, (laughs) (laughs) what are your thoughts about that? Uh, I mean, from a viewer's standpoint, I'm mostly looking at, Charlie Cox trying to pretend like he can't see when he's also trying to act across from somebody. It's sometimes more successful than others. Uh, 
But I guess as a Daredevil fan, it's never really bothered me. Uh, they're, because Daredevil's been around for so long, uh, he's definitely been taken down all the stupid ways you think that a blind man would be taken down. Uh, and I also like, you know, like jokes with modern Daredevil, like he kind of hates cell phones because like everything's on a screen, a touch screen, and like there's no, there's no way he has any idea what's on those things. Um, so like things like texting would, uh, befuddle a current Daredevil. So there's a little bit of fun stuff that you could do like that. Um, they did make him pretty close to overpowered where he could read blueprints by feeling the indents in the paper in episode nine, I believe. But that's the closest they get to, I think, overpowering Daredevil. Otherwise, he's basically, it's basically like World on Fire in the comics. The current Mark Wade run, uh, does like sort of sonic concentric circles, uh, to display that. And it's pretty cool. It's not so much like fire seeing temperature or anything like that it's more like a like a bat um and you know at least thomas is spared the ben affleck version where we get like you know electra in the rain bullshit um that was uh, that was a swing and a miss that concept should have worked it it probably should have it just did not if i'm sitting down at a blank page and i'm like and then it rains and then he can see her i'm like yes i'm writing gold (laughs) Um, but yeah, I, I liked the world on fire stuff and I liked they how sparingly they used his point of view. So it wasn't overblown. And it, yeah. a lot of it, they just sold on Charlie Cox sort of like cocking his head or, you know, like there was just a lot of him carrying this, selling this idea of his extrasensory perception that he has, which I think he did really well. I agree with you that there are some scenes where Charlie Cox is, you know, staring off to a, a point just left of someone's face in that typical way that people do when they play blind. That is, it can be a mixed bag, but, uh, yeah, overall, I think people, blind people look up just like naturally. I think somebody told me that, man, maybe I just made people mad. No, forget, I, I forget. I said that. I blind don't people. think you made people mad. I, I, that's something I've definitely seen. I don't know if it's true of like universally true. I think my favorite, I mean, is this maybe your favorite non-blind blind performance? Yep. <laughs> so that's not here. Say. We go. It's David Strathairn sneakers. That's my that's my hallmark. Um, oh, and maybe that's it's pretty awful, good. But I, I think it's great. So that's my favorite. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's hard I think for me to remember good ones. Than what you just said. Yeah, yeah. There's no, a, I mean... what's his name in um, Contact, which I also like. Oh yeah, it's good. All I could think about is um, William Fickner. No, what's her face in Red Dragon? The Brett Ratner Red Dragon. Oh, Emily. Uh, yeah. Yeah. What's her anyway? Uh, Blind uh, people. Uh. Anyway, <laughs> what an awful tangent to go on. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there was a lot of there wasn't a lot of thematic things in uh, Daredevil like I was expecting they might try to go for. So like in the first three episodes, uh, there are two uh, meals that involve Karen and Foggy where somebody's baking a recipe by their parents. Yeah. And I was like, oh, hey, let's see. Let's see how this goes. No, no one needs a recipe by anybody's parents I, I, for the rest, the rest of the thing. So maybe maybe I am over over reading. Oh, you, you thought you had something there. 
I mean, I'm just, I'm just wondering how deep we could go on Daredevil and how much of it is just uh, excuses to get and Daredevil to fight each other. Well, um, I did want to talk to you a little bit about, um, maybe not thematically, but well, no, thematically, um, about the. This is something that Devinder Hardwar, who is an amazing podcasting presence as well over on SlashFilm.com, was talking to me about last week, which is the. Angel pedigree of this show because Drew Goddard and Stephen Denight both worked on Angel, and you know, the closing shot of the first episode is Karen and Foggy and Matt, and you know, pan like pulling out of the office and you see the office door. And Devinder's point is, it might as well have said Angel's investigation on that door because you've got you know Matt Murdock in the Angel role, Karen Page in the Cordelia role, and Foggy in the, the poor Irish guy who died role. Um, Doyle. So, yeah, it is, it is very much the Angels investigations dynamic. I mean, it's still the comic dynamic, so it's not like it's a, it's a huge riff off, but like the noir, the, you know, reluctant hero, which is just a very common, I mean, it just might be that, Bat, that Angel took a lot from Batman and that's why, but just this, well, okay, here's what I will say. Let me, let me put a finer point on this. <laughs> David Boreanaz, when he left, and I'm sorry if you're unfamiliar with, with, Buffy and Joss Whedon and Angel, and this is really boring to you. But I got Buffy. I'm, my Angel's rusty, but I'm mostly with you. Well, the fact is that David Borean has left Buffy, which was very much one kind of show, to go do this noir version of that show uh, that tries really hard to, in the first season, they, they abandoned it eventually, but the first season tried to keep it as grounded as possible. Uh, and that's what Daredevil felt like to me. I agree that it's, you know, we're, we're used to this one thing in the MCU and then we come to Daredevil and we're like, oh, like he doesn't wear his red suit until the very end. And I liked everything about the red suit except for the helmet, but we can get to that. But, um, I don't know. Just, just those angel themes, those trying to do a really grounded real story with supernatural elements, um, remind me a lot of that show, which for me was always a hit and miss. But I, but I but I don't think it's a mistake that Stephen Knight and Drew Goddard, you know, came up on Angel and and are the ones to helm this show. So no, it makes complete sense, and it really feels like that, especially when you think of all the things you could have done with Daredevil. Uh, you could have gone straight to ninjas and Electra and Bullseye and all that, and it would have uh, overbalanced it. Um, it you would have gotten a lot of very complimentary tweets uh, during the first 48 hours it hit the internet, but I don't know if it would have the lasting effect on the universe as a show about secret identities and actual character studies um, and did. The, and the potential, which I, I read about, the potential to be a gateway sort of drug, gateway series, to hook people who don't want to watch Ninjas and Electra, but do want to watch Vincent D'Onofrio be fantastic. And they hear he's fantastic, so they're going to watch this show, and uh uh-oh, all of a sudden, they're hooked into comic books, whereas before, they resisted the whole medium, you know? Yeah, there's there's nothing really comic book-y until the ninja gets lit on fire. Oh, which is great. 
Um, Maybe just all of the ninja. Maybe just all of episode nine, which is one of my favorite episodes. Oh, it's true. No, I was looking on Tumblr before I finished the series. I was looking on Tumblr, so I got a little spoiled. But like when I saw that, I saw some gifts of that scene. I was like, "Is this really from Daredevil?" Like I wasn't sure. <laughs> I thought maybe it was like an edit or like a fan. Like I, I didn't believe necessarily that that scene was from this show. Um, and then it happened, and I was like, "Oh, okay, that's that's from the show." Why didn't? Uh, Kingpin take Daredevil's mask off when he was beating his face to a pulp? That's a question I have. Why does it matter who it is? You don't think anyone would be curious as to who it is, especially since Wilson Fisk gave Matt Murdock like that look in the art gallery like I have a strange suspicion about you, you know? Well, he was already having him followed. Wesley was from the beginning because he was involved with Karen. So right. he was naturally aware and suspicious of who he was. And he also uh, got involved in that thing that got the guy impaled in one of my middling episodes. I, I still think that's a slight, a slight hole. And it's okay to have slight holes. But I think that's a slight hole that he did not look under the mask. You know, before Matt jumped out the window and bled into the bay or whatever. I mean, he was going to kill him. Why is it? Why? Why? Are you kidding me, Dave? Someone attacked. Someone has been attacking you. They wear a mask. You're going to kill him anyway. You don't take that mask off to see who it is. No. Why does it matter? You're you're lying right now. Why does it it matter? Masks matter. Like what's underneath the mask matters. That's just like a human curiosity. I, I guess he's a sociopath. Sure. Okay. Um, <laughs> the other the other TV series that I want to evoke, uh, you know, which you uh, also when when Wilson Fisk does eventually figure out who Daredevil is, he still doesn't like go around telling everybody. So it would have been okay if he like looked up the mask. He has. He has some, I don't know. Gentleman's morals, code. General, gentleman's <laughs> morals. Um, the uh, other show reference that I wanted to talk about was the uh, when Wilson is like making his omelet to Bach and picking on his outfit. That was so Hannibal. I couldn't stand it. And it was great. Mm. I loved it. But it was very Hannibal to me. It did A lot of this made me miss Hannibal because it's very similarly adaptive adapted from the Brian Michael Bendis run as um, Brian Fuller is adapting from Thomas Harris, which is like sort of, but not really. Yeah. Yeah. And then like even some of the, 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 how dark everything is, is very much like how some of the Bendis comics were drawn. And I was even kind of forgiving of that. And like, as, as you might have seen on the internet, I turned all the blacks to white in the trailer to just sort of point out how ridiculously dark everything was. But now that I've had access to higher res versions of things, I've been you know going through and photoshopping some frames, and it's definitely dark on purpose. Like yeah. all the data is there, you could find all the cracks and textures and everything. It's just in the shadows. It's kind of cool. And I- then like the the simple idea of having a giant. Uh, LED billboard outside of his apartments. The lights always changing was just a great idea. So cool. And so like, you know, as we all know, I don't read as many comic books as you do, but it just struck me as so visually in step with comic books uh, in a way a lot of other 
comic book adaptations with. Like, you know, I understand, like, the more stylized things like Watchmen and Sin City, um, or even Ang Lee's Hulk, you know, people have tried in, like, a million different ways to capture a comic book on screen. And then some people just don't try at all. Like, Marvel seems to not try at all, really. Uh, the, The movies, anyway. Um, but this, the way they use shadow, you know, so you get these have to find faces. I, I, the way things are framed, I just really, really admire the style of this show. So Matt Patches thinks it looks terrible. He is a crazy person in my opinion. So, yeah, it's very, very, uh, deliberately exactly what it is. And I'm like, the whole thing is shot very deliberately. All 13 episodes. Yeah. Um, which occasionally is maddening because you want everything to go faster. You want to see something in a corner or you like want something to happen, but is, yeah, just a very well-controlled pace, which is not always a Marvel thing. So bravo on that. Is there anything we haven't talked about that we want to? Oh yeah. Um, what's his name? Ben. What's his last name? The, the reporter. Oh, er, 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 Urich? Um, so... Urich? Urich, yeah, I think Urich. Urich or Urich? Urich, Urich. Okay. Yeah, I've been saying it wrong in my head. All. <laughs> it's not reading it all these years. Yeah, it's like Valencar or whatever. Um, anyway, um, you know, so the person I was watching this with, first of all, said he wanted more uh, courtroom scenes because Matt Murdock is a lawyer. There was only one courtroom scene at all. Um, but then the other thing he said is like, he knew Vanessa was going to come out of her coma because spoiler alert, like in the comics, you know, she's Mrs. Kingpin and, um, he knew, oh, and then he, you know, he loved seeing Turk, who's this great, like side character in the comics, Mm -hmm. um, who's this very hapless sort of henchman. Um, but as you say about, about like Hannibal, he was surprised then when Ben died because Ben is this like big character in the Daredevil universe. So to kill him is is a surprise, is one of those like, you know, oh, you think you know what's happening, book readers, comic book readers? You don't. We're going to kill Ben because it works dramatically for us, um, which I thought was, you know. So that kind of adaptation I think you and I both talked about is is the better kind, anyway. Yes, although I am disappointed because he's supposed to take uh, Jessica Jones under his wing after she has her little stint trying to be a private detective. Uh, but now it looks like that that's not going to happen. Yeah, that relationship sort of got passed off to Karen Page. And then he, yeah, he didn't make it out. And he never got to work for the Daily Bugle like he was supposed to. God oh, damn it. Wow. Yeah, I, I was liked, surprised that Ben I died. Liked... But the, like, he's, okay, it's the, like his death's like the big thing at the end of episode 12, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So we're you just like were you penultimate episode shocked like us we were thinking he was safe no uh, well as soon as king pin was in his house no no what was it it was as soon as he told karen i'll talk to you tomorrow i mean the same thing happened with karen i should have been shocked about wesley but tumblr spoiled that for me that, that's my own fault for going on tumblr but like i think i think everyone should have been shocked about wesley because i i think most people wouldn't think that karen would pull the trigger there um, or, you know, like unload into him the way that she did. Right. Um, well, okay. Let me, let me put it, let me put it in game of Thrones terms. Uh, 
in season one, uh, the mountain kills that guy, you know, by lancing him with the and the wood sticks out of his neck during yeah. the jousting tournament. Yeah. Imagine if he killed the hound. You'd be like, uh, uh he has like th- other things to do in other books. What's well, how people feel? I mean, spoiler alert about a certain character who died in Game of Thrones this season. Like that's happening on Game of Thrones too. I under- I understand that it's a character cut short, cut down from what they're supposed to do. So I, I actually, but I think it's, so then I think as a show watcher, someone who's not as familiar with the Daredevil comics, it's less surprising to me than it is to a comic book reader. Right. right. Yeah. And so I'm just sort of like, it, the, the groundwork was all there, you know, like he has that tender thing with his wife um, where she encourages him to do this and he tells Karen he's going to talk to her tomorrow and then King Fennis is an apartment and you're like, well, curtains for Ben, bummer. Um, yeah, so, so yeah, I guess the shock was, was more for you guys. I'm sorry. I hope you're, you're recovering okay. Man, didn't even get to meet Spider-Man. <laughs> he, he knows who Spider-Man is, and he's the one who, he knows who Daredevil is, like, way before everybody else in his paper does. Oh, so many good storylines gone. And, like, he's, like, it's like he's the reporter, He's the not superpowered reporter of the Marvel universe, so we're just not gonna have reporters anymore. I mean, I guess that, that would be kind of more realistic. There's, there's still that beardo. I really liked, I really liked how his wife is like, you know, there's a thing called the internet, right? And you don't have to deal with your editor; you can just blog about it. Yeah. Go home and well, blog then about there it. was also the previous shot at bloggers making as much as we do, sitting around their house in their in underwear. their pajamas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I so, felt that. Like, I felt that sting. Yeah, maybe we don't need more reporter characters if we have to ha- include one prerequisite scene about how that job doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. I did like them. Oh, oh, and I wanted to talk about the music really quickly. Um, the Bach, which I love, my favorite Bach cello piece over Kingpin making breakfast. Um, and then the opera, Nessun Dorma from Turndot, uh, Puccini, uh, during the montage where the FBI is like taking down everyone <laughs> um, which was a great piece of music to use. And, I, you know, I know it's overblown to have, like, you know, this is like a, a Goodfellas type thing to have opera playing over, you know, a slow montage or something. But it, it was really affecting to me that particular piece of music, which has the chorus of, like, I will win, I will win, I will win, is the lyrics over and over and over again. And, and, uh, and you're watching it and you're like, I know that Matt Murdock probably feels like he's winning in this moment, but... I would not count Kingpin out yet. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Did you watch Spartacus? No, no, no. Oh, man. Not necessarily music-wise, but in terms of surprising choices coming out of places that you think you know what's going on, it is not surprising to me that Stevens and I did Daredevil and Spartacus. Because awesome. Spartacus is like... Uh, we're going to do softcore porn and we're going to rip off Zack Snyder's 300 and we're going to tell this story that we all know how it ends. He doesn't get, he doesn't free all the slips. And they, they made it into three seasons that I enjoyed watching. I've heard Spartacus is great. Like, yeah. I've heard really good things about that series. They made four seasons. I enjoy three of those seasons. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's nice to see something you're not expecting out of like a pulp property. Right. And I think that's what Daredevil ended up giving me, especially when I was expecting like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. 
for Netflix. Does it, okay, and this is... <laughs> so we have a listener, um, Evelina, who's from Sweden, who I just adore. And uh, I follow her on Twitter, even though most of the time she tweets in Swedish, and I have no idea what she's saying. Mm-hmm. Um, but she tweeted something that was all Swedish, except it started with Daredevil and ended with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And so... I asked her to translate it for me, and what it says, she's like, well, after watching Daredevil, I kind of don't want to watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., like, I'm bored by Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and I knew that that's what it said. <laughs> like, even <laughs> though it was in Swedish, I knew that that's what it said, and uh, and I feel the same way. Like, I haven't watched Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. this week, because I'm like, oh, God, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. got so much wrong about what we want from a Marvel television show. I know it's trying to do something completely different, so it's deeply unfair to compare them but inevitable that we're going to compare them. And, um, yeah, I just don't want to watch it. This, I mean, this series, this Netflix series knows so much what it is. The effects look so good, you know, for all the darkness, you know, that's in the series and all the crap it gets for, for looking like a low budget indie movie, according to Matt Patches, like the fact that they're not trying to do enormous, you know, sky buses when they can't, when they don't have the budget to make it look good. So the fact that they're knowing their tempo and doing exactly what they need to do makes me so happy. You know, they reached exactly where they needed to reach. So, yeah. And the interesting thing we'll see will be to see how, if the other series manage to keep that up because the, it's nice. Netflix is, allows you to make uh, television in sort of bursts and then get reaction and then make something in a burst. So, like, they're not going to have any reaction. Uh, we're not going to see, like, Jessica Jones already happened. No people saying that they don't like Daredevil's costume is not going to change any costuming that may or may not appear in Jessica Jones. Um, whereas Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., you know, they're if they're live shooting something and an episode bombs, they could swap out characters and whatnot. So it really is just knowing what you are and committing to that. Um, I think agents of shield, one of our, somebody wrote in and asked about when are we just going to get like a fun X-Men series? That's where agents of shield is moving towards and they're going to spin off the parts of it that work. And the parts that don't are going to remain being agents of shield because it seems like that's agents of shields places to be kicked around by the movies and figure out where the television pocket is. So it's just, you know, no, but the diff- question we got was not when are we going to have a fun X-Men? It was like, when are we going to have a fun, like teenagery CW OC X-Men? Um, which is a different, which is not what agents of shield is ever going to be. No, probably not. Right. Whereas I think this person was thinking of like, you know, the Sophie Turner generation of, of mutants that we're going to see in the films. Like, can't we get a fun, like, you know, boarding school soap opera oh. with mutants? Oh yeah. Yeah. Fox is working on that. Yeah. So, but like, yeah, everybody, everybody thinks they want that. I think I do too. I'm not sure though. There have been other attempts, but yeah, I don't know. Shields. Shield is interesting, and it's on weekly. And like comic books, uh, that means that not every week's going to be good. And sometimes there are long stretches where they try things that are bad. If I ever told you about Spider-Man's The Other Joanna, no, yeah, it was pretty bad. <laughs> it it was yeah, a lot of bad, horrible things happened. Spider-Man ate a vampire's face. Oh my god. 
Yeah, but anyway, point being, you gotta stick with things sometimes if they're long-form serialized things like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. that can be reactionary. So I kind of give them a break, and also it has Edward James almost on it, so I gotta watch it. That's a, that's a fair argument. But you, but it's not, like, diminished at all uh, in your eyes after Daredevil? I mean, they're different animals, I know, but... Is it diminished at all? No, because it's doing more daring stuff than it's ever done before. So it's trying to. It, it's not its fault that it's in Daredevil. And it's sort of been weird hearing uh, Joss Whedon talk about uh, in press for Avengers Age of Ultron that in his mind, Coulson's still dead <laughs> because that was a TV, you know, branch decision. So Coulson won't be in like Avengers Age of Ultron, but it's like that's that's how separate Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is. It's their little experimental property that has to be for everybody. I love when you so- casually drop spoilers like that. Um, I guess since Whedon has said it in, in interviews, it doesn't count. Um, but that is interesting. I didn't know that. And it's so interesting because I think we think so much, we think because we were tricked by like Jed Whedon's name that Joss Whedon had more to do with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. than he actually did. I think that was a mistake people made from the beginning with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. That they expected it to be a Joss Whedon TV show because it had a a Whedon name on it. You know? Yeah, and maybe that's also what led them down the wrong path, is not just giving it over to the other Whedons. Yep. Which is the same mistake Dollhouse made for a whole season, but, you know, what, whatever. That's another conversation for another day. Um, all right, so anything else about Daredevil that we missed that we want to talk about? Uh, you want to talk about the costume? You said you liked everything but the helmet? Oh, yeah, 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 okay. So I like that he was in the black ninja shit for most of the season um and i like the way they seeded that costume sort of thing in to have kingpin use this guy first and then daredevil get the idea from him because like you know in that whole conversation about like why don't you have a suit and he's like oh you know i never learned how to sew uh because superheroes in their suits is, is is a very weird thing to do i i think my favorite thing about the suit and this is, you know, just one of the lighter touches I think that they used is to have at the beginning to have young Matt Murdock sort of looking at his dad's boxing robe, the red and the letters on it, just sort of, and the, and the boots and just sort of looking at, at, at uh, battling Jack Murdock's getup and sort of thinking about how, how that inspired without ever directly saying it. We see that he still has his dad's, you know, stuff that's there the the connection is obvious enough but they never felt like they had to state it and i really appreciated that so i wanted one more line to drive it all together which is i wanted him to tell melvin who is another one of my favorite daredevil characters by the way did you like uh, how the show treated him yes he eventually becomes a villain but like that, that makes the sense. sweet the sweet <laughs> melvin that makes sense well, it's like he's one of those villains you're rooting for because it's never really his fault. He is like that simple, strong, you know, uh, savant person. Right. So I was very happy they at least did that and, you know, didn't, you know, kill him or do anything horrible or turn him into the gladiator prematurely. They did enough little nods with him throwing around little razor, razor blades. He's going to mount one of those onto his arm. Anyway. I wanted Daredevil to say to, like, you know, Melvin, like, I want it to be red so they can't see me bleed. Like, I just wanted that one line because his dad says that's why he likes to wear yeah. red. And, like, that would 
be the reason that we watch him bleed so much into that black costume and watch people like think that they have one up on him. Like I thought that's what they were building to with all the brutal cuts and bleeding that he had to go through. But the brutal like, cuts and bleeding are, um, you know, that ties back into the whole like Murdoch's can take a beating, like, you know, sort of thing. Like he watched his dad get pummeled all the time. He's willing to get just pummeled all the time. And that's, that's almost one of his superpowers. It's not that he has like super healing because he obviously doesn't. It's that he's psychologically willing to just take a pummeling over and over and over again. Yeah, I just wanted one more thing to connect it. Like, I I do like that he's not like a one at red like my dad's j- box of jacket. <laughs> what? Okay, so what if I meet you in the middle? What if we? What if he? Had, what if he had just said? Because I don't think he ever even says he wants to be red, right? He's like, I know what it should be like, but he doesn't say anything about what it should be like, right? Right, right. I need you to make me a symbol or something like that. So what if he just said like it should be red? Like, yeah, and not say exactly what his dad said because the, the thing is like i'm i'm fine that they just tack daredevil on there because it's like a newspaper headline in a world that like newspapers are dying but and like i see where he gets the devil from but it's like the red is something that's very personal to him yeah. so i wanted one line where we see that it's personal and practical or something like that that was another thing that that i liked is that they don't say kingpin or daredevil right through the whole show except let's say daredevil right at the end but right at the end you know they call him the devil but they don't call him daredevil and they don't ever call wilson fisk kingpin correct so that's i like that Um, anyway i don't like uh i don't like the red costume you don't like any well it is a little like i wish it were more like the flash and less like the adam suit you know it's got a lot going on yeah it has the wrong kind of texture it has the Ant-Man texture, which is not the texture that I that I want on my Daredevil suit. But it's better than the Ben Affleck Daredevil suit, which was just no, no. But that's that was like too vinyl-y, like too vinyl. That's fine. I know. I think the Flash is the is the better option because that looks like you know like tough leathers. I guess like- I, the one thing that I have the Daredevil, the Ben Affleck Daredevil suit has over the Flash suit in my mind is the Ben Affleck Daredevil suit. Somehow they made it so it doesn't look bulky around his head, which like Daredevil just like that he's like this bright red skin tight guy that could like bounce around all athletically has sort of become in this series like an armored tank red and black dude which i get but like it's the same sort of way where i was like okay with all spider-man on screen but the costume in amazing spider-man 2 is my spider-man on screen Mm. this is not my daredevil (laughs) okay (laughs) i see why they do it i just i just don't like i don't like the how practical it looks and jessica jones doesn't does she have a costume uh, she did when she was a superhero, but not one that she wears around. What was her uh, name again? Like Dazzle, like something not great, right? Yeah, the jewel or something like that. Yeah. I'm I'm sorry, guys. I should know this off the top of my head, but uh, I swear when we get there, we will know. <laughs> we will know exactly what's going on. We will. Um. All right. Well, that's a bummer about the suit. I did. I loved the Jack Murdock stuff. Ugh, that stuff is really good right at the beginning. I thought. I really like the guy playing his dad and. 
the way yeah. they did that. Um, because I, I have read that storyline in the comics, and, and I just think they really nailed it. Stick was a little uh, harsher, even harsher than I remembered him from being from the comics. So that was an interesting choice with Scott Glenn, but I, I anticipate that that will pay off in, in, in one way or another. So. And Scott yeah, Glenn watched, was great. So I watched it once, and I was like, yeah, that was pretty good. And then someone was like, it's just I, all I see is Bob Durst, and then I watched it again. I was like, "Oh no!" Oh, someone ruined it for you. Now, you, now, now all you've I see ruined is Bob it for Durst. <laughs> well, I haven't seen the jinx, so thankfully. I'm, okay, it's a, I'm free. You have a lot of ruining ahead of you. <laughs> I like Scott Glenn a lot. I thought that was a good choice for for that character. Oh no, it was good. He was not around long enough for what he he represented. I thought. But it was weird to have him just in there for that little bit. Like, why oh, was he in the? It's it's like those weird Arrow episodes where somebody is in the flashback and the current thing. Yeah. It's like this should feel more momentous than it does. Well, I mean, they did the same thing with the. I mean, obviously, Foggy is in the whole season, but the sort of Nelson versus Murdoch episode with the flashbacks informing the present. I really loved that episode, and, and I forget if it was on Twitter or in one of our emails, but someone was just like, you know, God bless this show for taking the time and the space to do that episode where, you know, Foggy and Matt, uh, you know, there was other Kingston stuff going on, but where it's largely Foggy and Matt wrestling through this su- secret identity reveal and what it means for their friendship and what it and how it informs their entire friendship. Right, and we need the flashback with Stick because otherwise we don't know how he went from, you know, kid whose dad got shot to, to Daredevil. I know, poor parkour. But yeah. I'm not sure we needed him to pop up in Hell's Kitchen. Oh, so you think Stick could have just existed in a flashback? Uh, that's how I was expecting him to show up. But, and so he popped up in the, the garage with the weird future glasses on. And I was like, what? <laughs> and then it doesn't amount to anything either. So. Well, that we know of so far, don't you? I mean, you've already said that that's laying groundwork for something else, right? Yeah, it, I think it would be weird to take another show and devote an episode to the unfinished chemistry between Stick and uh, Matt here. But, I mean, they could. It just felt, it felt weird to me. The, but I mean, I guess you're right. It did I think, it, I plant, think it, it planted a seed. Yeah. They had to plant Black Sun somewhere, and it happened to be the stick episode had an opening. And who's he talking to with the extraordinarily broad back uh, at the end of that <laughs> episode? No, no idea. Yeah. Um. Oh, and I had another question about Madame Gao. Madame Gao says this thing where she's like, "I'm going home." And, you know, the warden from Shawshank is, like, to China or whatever. And she's like, no, it's a lot farther than that. So I couldn't tell if that means she's going to kill herself, which is entirely possible, or if she is also involved in some sort of mystical thing. I wasn't sure what that line meant, and I didn't know if you had any thoughts about it. Might be. There's some mystical Chinese things in Marvel Comics history uh, some of them in more racist times than others. Mm-hmm. But like, I would see like a you know a secret city or something. I I could see that those sort of things happening. And then there's always uh, or there's a rich history of uh, secret you know things going on with whatever. However, the East deals with superheroes uh, has historically through the Cold War and beyond uh, been very different. 
than how we deal with superheroes, which might actually lead us directly into Avengers Age of Ultron, that thought. Which will be our next episode. So that might be a great place to leave it. Um, thank you all for listening. If you found us via like this weird iTunes promotion that we fell backwards into, like welcome. Uh, this is Do you a- like podcasts? You might <laughs> like us. This is a you, you. What is the line? You've met us at a strange time in our lives. Like this is, uh, this is not when uh, how we usually record. But we will be back for Avengers: Age of Ultron. If you found us through the the Game of Thrones podcast, we do welcome as well. Uh, if you would be so kind and leave us a review on iTunes. Hopefully a positive one. Uh, that'll help, you know, our visibility even more, and that would make me very happy. So, so please do that during this hiatus. Please email your thoughts or questions, feedback on this Daredevil episode, anything you have to say. Bubble your thoughts at gmail.com. Dave, where can people find you? Uh, Forbes.com, Geek.com, Latino-Review.com, and on Twitter at da7e. I'm Joanna Robinson. You can find me on VanityFair.com or you can follow me on Twitter at Joe Wrote This or you can listen to us talk about Game of Thrones on A Storm of Spoilers. Thanks so much and we will see you in May. Bye!